Let's bow together and pray. And if you believe that this morning, what is it in your life that may seem impossible that you need to ask God to intervene in, that you need to ask Him to come through, to meet your need, to do something for you? I mean, Scripture tells us that nothing's impossible with God. I think we doubt that sometimes. But he tells us to cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. Lord, you know what each person needs. God, I pray that you would meet those needs in a way that you would be glorified, in a way that it's clear that it's something that, that you have done. God, I pray that you build our faith. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, help us to look into what's unseen and not just live based on the seen and the material and the temporal. But Lord, help us to look, uh, live with spiritual eyes. Lord, we pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see you for who you are and to trust your word and believe that you can and will do what the, that you say that you will do. And God, we thank you for your promises and that they're true. Help us to stand on them. Lord, increase our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, let's go to Daniel chapter 10. And, I mean, we put the verses on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a phone, but I think it's better if you're looking at it for yourself. So I would encourage you uh, to go to your Bible. So um, let me start with a little quiz for those of you that have been around True Life for a while and heard me preach a bunch, what, what is possibly the, the phrase that I use the most when I'm preaching? <laughs> Aaron? What? Do I use that one a lot? Okay. Well, yeah, what, what I'm thinking is what Will said. You can fall in the ditch on either side of the road. Uh, I, I do work at trying not to repeat myself too much unintentionally. Maybe the rubber meets the road that's happening with. Uh, there are some things that I, that I repeat myself intentionally, and this is one of them. So this is one of these chapters and one of these messages where you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road, okay? Th this is kind of like a lot of things in, in, in Daniel uh, there's some mystery here. I mean, there, there's some clarity, but, but there's some mystery in this chapter. Uh, I think when we get to chapter 11 next week, in my opinion, that's the hardest chapter uh, in, in, in the whole book. hope that doesn't scare you away, but uh, if you're here the week after Thanksgiving, you probably intend to be here anyway. But uh, So, we, I mean, what we're really talking about today in some sense is spiritual warfare, uh, the, the demonic angels, uh, really the spiritual uh, realm, and so I, I think you know what I mean by saying you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road. I mean, they're professing Christians that you talk to them about Satan and demons, and they would say that's just a symbol for evil. So, you know, when the Bible records in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus having a conversation with the devil, apparently he was just talking to himself, but they're professing Christians who believe that. And when it comes to Satanism even, there, there are branches of Satanism that don't actually believe in the devil, or at least they, they, they say that, that basically uh, Satan is just a symbol of self-expression and kind of you being able to do uh, whatever you want to do. Uh, but, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like two kids who were there leaving church and they heard a sermon about Satan. I mean, some preacher really preaching it hard and one of them asked uh, the other guys, like, you know, what do you think about all this Satan stuff? And he said, well, I I'm not sure, but I'm kind of thinking that it's probably a lot like Santa Claus, that it actually ends up being your dad. <laughs> so... Sorry, Shane, if you thought Santa Claus was real. Sorry to give that away before Christmas. But so some people are kind of like that when it comes to the devil. But so some people, when it comes to this kind of stuff, and you know, there's like a demon behind every bush. They're, they're just obsessed. Um, we, we used to, when we went on vacation, we used to uh, try to go to church. 
Um, I, I, we apparently, though, we're not very good at picking churches. We had some bad experiences with this. But you know, I really believe when the Bible says, "Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together," that you know we give our Sunday mornings. It's a first fruits to the Lord, and we have somewhat kind of given up on it. But one of those experiences, we were traveling. We went to church with some friends uh, one time, and um, this may possibly be the most out there strange sermon that I have ever heard in person in my life. Um, I mean, it was from Genesis chapter 6. If you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, it talks about the sons of God and, 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 the, and the daughters uh, of men. And, and some people have this interpretation where the sons of God is talking about angels cohabitating uh, with women, which I think is a wrong interpretation. But uh, this took that interpretation and just completely blew past it. I mean, I wish I could remember all of it. I mean, I remember him showing pictures of like the Egyptian pyramids and somehow that connected into it. I think, I'm not positive about this, but I'm pretty sure I remember there were somehow UFOs that, that were uh, brought into this. And uh, Robin nicknamed it the Angel Giant Demon People Sermon. <laughs> and so I don't want to fall into that ditch and get into that territory today. But, uh, I mean, this is... It, it, it's, it's a unique chapter of Scripture. So, as we come to, to Daniel chapter 10, one thing you need to understand is really, uh, you know, the first nine chapters of Daniel, each chapter has been a unit. That's why all except for chapter 9, I've preached a, a chapter at a time. There's just like a, a unit of thought within each chapter. It's really true of chapter 9. I just thought it was too big and too important to try to cram it into one week. But when you get to, to Daniel 10, really Daniel 10, 11, and 12 are actually a unit. So, but you don't want me to try to preach all three in one week because we'd be here till Christmas. So you, you should appreciate that I'm breaking it up. So basically what, what you have in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11 is actually the longest prophecy in the Bible. You know, we've seen some detailed fulfillment of prophecies. Daniel 11 really probably dwarfs what we've already seen in Daniel 2, 7, 8, and, and, and 9, at least in the amount of detail that's in it. Really, Daniel chapter 11 pictures God working out his will in the world, in the physical realm. Uh, chapter 12 ties it into eternity. But then in, in chapter 10, we're kind of uh, God's pulling back the curtain. He's unveiling the spiritual realm, and he's giving us the story behind the story. He's, he's teaching us here, really, that what's happening in the spiritual realm is actually what causes what's happening in the, in the, in the physical realm. And he wants us to get beyond just seeing with our physical eyes, and he wants to open the, the eyes of our heart and build our faith so we see with uh, spiritual eyes into the spiritual realm. He, he's taking us behind the scenes. I, I mean, if you've ever seen like, the, ever seen like VH1 behind the music, uh, you know, where you, they kind of get past the success of the band and like everyone's pretty much the same, you know, they, they work hard and they tour and they tour and they tour and they build a following and they get rich and famous and then they get on drugs and then they split up and now they reunite and they're 75 years old, leaving the nursing home, making banks, still touring. That's pretty much the story. It's behind the scenes. And, but this is taking us behind the scenes, past the physical realm, into the spiritual realm. So, so this is what it says, verse 1. He says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Now, I want to read that same verse in, in, in a different translation. I don't do this very often. You know, I preach from the New King James. But uh, there's a phrase in there that the King James and the New King James translates when it says the appointed time was long. But really, no other translation, there may be some out there, but no other translation I'm aware of translates it that way. And it's really probably not the best translation. So, Here's what the NIV says. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned 
a great war. Now, again, war or conflict is probably the proper translation here. But in chapter 11, we're going to see this war, these wars being manifested in the earth. But in chapter 10, we're seeing a war in, in the heavenlies, a war in the spiritual realm, a war behind the scenes that's actually determining the war in the physical realm, which is the point of all this. So he goes on after that in verses 2 and 3. He says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were uh, fulfilled. And so that was Daniel's response to this. Then I want us uh, to skip ahead to verses 12 and 14, then verses 20 through 21 to get a glimpse of this war. And we'll come back and kind of uh, fill in the blanks on the rest of it. But there, so there's an angel that appears to Daniel. And he said to him, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. So like we've talked about already in Daniel the last couple of weeks, answered prayer. God heard his prayers, but there was a delay there. What was the delay? This is when this, where this passage gets so mysterious. He says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Now, the thing about this, this is an angel talking about other spiritual angelic beings. And I think the text is clear about that. Now, again, we don't want to, you know, get in the ditch and, you know, go too far with this and make it say too much. But then, we, but on the other hand, again, we don't want to get in the ditch on the other side of the road and explain away what he's saying. He's clearly talking about things that are happening in the spiritual realm, not the, not the physical realm. He's talking about some kind of battle even going on over the prayers that he's praying And then he says in verses 20 and 21, Then he said, Do you not know why I've come to you? Or do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So again, he's saying, I'm leaving you now, but I'm going to fight these other spiritual battles. And so uh, the conviction that I I would take from this is that the world seems out of control, but that God is bringing about his will in the physical realm by winning the war in the spiritual realm. Of course, Jesus ultimately won the war on the cross, but there's still battles that are going on. But God is winning those battles, and through those, that's how he's bringing about his will in the world. Again, there's a lot of mystery to this, but we want to have biblical conviction. We want to believe, live based on what Scripture says, even if we don't fully understand it, even if God hasn't given us a full revelation of it. We want to live based on the light that he gives us. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because Ephesians 6.12 tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need to know where the real battle is. I mean, I, you know, I, I think about coaching basketball and, you know, times your teams, the people that get frustrated with each other. It's like, you know, you guys aren't the enemy. The other team is. And sometimes as Christians, we need to be reminded of that. You know, your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not a politician that you don't like or a person uh, that you don't like. Our enemy is not each other. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Satan wants us to think that we're uh, fighting each other, but really, he is our foe. Abraham Kuyper, who was a journalist, a theologian, and at one point the prime minister of the Netherlands, wrote this. He says, If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, 
It would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. Tony Evans has put it this way. I, I, I shared this first sentence with you a couple of weeks ago. I want to share it again and then what he said after that. He said, if all we see is what we see, then we're not seeing all there is to be seen. And, and, and that's certainly the idea of Daniel 10 and 11. It's like if you read Daniel 11, you see these things that are going on in the world. God's saying to us, don't just see this. See what's going on behind it. See what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. But he goes on to say this. He said, the word heavenly places means the spiritual realm. Whatever is going on in your world, your life is rooted first in the spiritual realm, heavenly places. If you don't know how to navigate that realm, you can't fix this realm. Spiritual warfare can simply be defined as the conflict in the invisible realm that affects what's going on in the visible realm. It is the battle in the unseen that is responsible for the battle in the seen. And he wasn't specifically talking about Daniel 10 and 11, but I think it's a perfect description of it. So, if you don't know how to navigate the, the spiritual realm, you can't fix what's going on in the earthly realm. That's why Ephesians talks so much about heavenly places and what we have in the heaven. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He wants us to learn to live out of that. He wants us to know that in Christ, we have everything we need in heavenly places to then apply to what's going on in earthly places in this world. So if, if you want to fix your marriage, learn how to navigate the spiritual realm. If you want to grow as a parent, learn how to navigate the spiritual realm. If you want to grow as a, as a follower of Christ and how you relate to other people and how you share your faith and how you serve, grow in the spiritual realm. That's where it all starts. So a little background. You know, the Bible teaches us that God, only God is eternal, that he, he's the creator, and before he made us, he made angels. And angels were heavenly beings who worshiped and served God. But, but Lucifer, the worship leader in heaven, became proud, rebelled against God. Revelation chapter 12 uh, you know, pictures him then being kicked out of heaven. A third of the angels rebelling with him. That's who we call demons. And so this would be the root of this conflict that's being pictured in, in, in Daniel chapter 10. And, and, and the Bible teaches us also that, that Satan is seeking to you know, get to God, to oppose God by getting at God's uh, people. The end of Revelation 12 pictures him making uh, war against those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony uh, of Jesus Christ. But the non-fallen angels, you know, the Bible pictures many of them worshiping around the throne of God. But the Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who would inherit salvation, which would be us. The Bible speaks later on in Hebrews of uh, you know, entertaining strangers because you might entertain angels uh, unaware. And so, again, there is this spiritual realm in which these angels and, and these demons are, are, are functioning. Um, I'm going to read a couple of quotes that kind of summarize this point, summarize Daniel chapter 10. One's from Danny Aiken, one's from John Piper. So listen to what they say, because again, these are not some charismatic, hyper-charismatic televangelists. This is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Seminary my uh, systematic theology professor, and John Piper. I mean, these are about as solidly evangelical as you're going to get. So Dr. Aiken says this. He says, Daniel chapter 10 makes it clear and mentions four things. One, angels and demons exist. Two, angels and demons engage one another in spiritual combat. 
3, certain demons and probably certain angels are given particular geographical and governmental assignments. And 4, our prayers in some genuine measure enter into and affect the battles being fought. John Piper goes on uh, to say, I would conclude that there are high-ranking demonic powers over various regimes and dominions and governments and realms of the world, and that they work to create as much evil and corruption and spiritual darkness as they can. They strive to interrupt Christian missions and ministry as much as they can. Again, we don't want to say more than this text says. We don't want to get into some kind of ungodly, unbiblical speculation. But at the same time, we don't want to say less than what Scripture says. And I think they're saying what Scripture says here. And really, honestly, I believe that if we really believe this, it would change our prayer lives. It would change the way that we live our lives. So, if, if this is true... And if we have this conviction that there is this spiritual realm, there's a war going on in it. God is winning the war in the spiritual realm. He's bringing about his will in the physical realm through what he's doing in the spiritual realm. What would be the action that we should take? And I think the action we should take is that we will recognize that we are in a spiritual battle and fight with spiritual weapons. Recognize that we're in a spiritual battle and fight with spiritual weapons. I mean, so many times we're trying to handle problems that are spiritual in their nature with fleshly, worldly means. And it doesn't work. So, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 through puts it this way. Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You want to see strongholds pull down in your life? He says, don't fight with weapons of the flesh. Fight with spiritual weapons, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the question would be is then what are our spiritual weapons to fight this spiritual battle with so that we can walk in victory in our lives. And uh, there's a lot that we could talk about, but again, the point and purpose of expository preaching is saying what a particular text says. And so I want to point out to you four spiritual weapons from Daniel chapter 10 that we can fight this spiritual battle that we're in with. First of all, focusing on Jesus. Keeping our focus, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is a spiritual weapon that we can fight with. Look at what he says here in in verses 4 through 9. He says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. Kind of reminds me of Paul on the road to Damascus. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So, kind of a debate among Bible scholars and commentators on Daniel. Is is this a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, or is this an, an angel? And probably the majority opinion is that it's an angel. So I'll just tell you, I'm in the minority on this, but I believe it's a Christophany. I believe this is Jesus. I I believe later in the chapter it's an angel showing up. But why why do I believe that it's Jesus? Well, I want us to read from Revelation chapter 1. 
And I just want you to note the similarities between the the two texts. So Revelation 1, starting in verse 12, uh, John says that I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, which represent the churches there in Asia Minor that he's writing to. And he says, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Remember, we've read about that in Daniel. Clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. You see the similarities here. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined. In, 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 sorry, go back. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if relied in a, refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God. Uh, his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore, forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. It sounds like the two texts are talking about the same person to me. And so I believe that Daniel saw a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Well, how does this apply to us? Does this mean if we're going to fight spiritual warfare, we've got to wait for Jesus to show up in a vision? Say, no, we don't need to do that because we have the Word of God. The written Word of God reveals the living Word of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want to see who Jesus is, and we want to know who He is, and we want to know Him, we need to look to His Word and focus on who He's revealed to be and, and, and trust Him. I, I think maybe the way for us to apply it would be Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking unto, which means fixing our eyes on, staring at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, if we want to be strong spiritually, The key is to get up, get in the Word of God, get our minds focused on Christ, surrender to Him, and then abide in Him throughout the day. Repent of sin. Lay down things that that hold us back. Confess our sins as we sin. Uh, Refocus on Him and, and, and look to Him, depend on Him, trust Him. Really, there's no shortcuts. This is how we grow spiritually. This is how we're strong spiritually. It's Christ in us. The way to live the Christian life is what Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's looking to Jesus, trusting him, surrendering to him, allowing him to be in control, allowing him uh, to live through us. That's how we're strong spiritually. That's how we overcome. That's how we win the spiritual battles that we face in our lives. We can't do it apart from Christ. Second weapon that we have is prayer. Look, Look in verses 10 through 14. Daniel writes, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And then we read these verses before, but I want to read them again. He said, uh, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I, I, I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Again, 
Daniel was praying. His prayers were heard. There was a delay because this battle was going on. But God answered his prayer. And, and so when we pray, do we see that there's a spiritual conflict raging? And like Danny Aiken said, somehow our prayers affect that. I mean, do we see that behind problems in our world, there's something going on in the spiritual realm? Do we see behind things that are going on in our government that may drive us crazy, that there's something going on in, in the spiritual realm? When we watch the news and we see images of a war in Ukraine, do we see that there's a war in the spiritual realm that's behind that? And if that's really true, while there's things that need to be done in the physical realm, where we need to start is with prayer, connecting us with God who's working in the spiritual realm. Or to bring it maybe down closer to us. You've got problems in your marriage. There may be some real practical things you need to do. You may say need to say, I'm sorry. You may need to say, I forgive you. You may need to go to counseling. I don't know what it is. You may need to go on a date. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not dismissing the practical, but I'm saying behind all of that, there's some spiritual things that need to be done. you got a wayward child. There may be some real practical things you need to do, but you need to start with intercession, with getting on your face before God and asking God to intervene and overcome and to bring that child home to do only what he can do because only he can change hearts. There's a man by the name of Daniel Fitch that's written a book called Seven Practices for the Church on Mission. And in it, he, he tells this story. He says, in 2010, a group of eight people from two churches felt called to the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood of Sacramento. It was known as one of the most notorious crime-ridden neighborhoods in all of Sacramento. Each house in that neighborhood was a place of danger. Nonetheless, this group of eight decided to walk through the neighborhood, praying over each home and praying for the presence of Christ to reign over violence, addiction, and satanic oppression. One of the eight, a former Sacramento police officer and gang detective, reported that, quote, each time we prayed over the houses, we felt the weight of oppression becoming lighter. A woman from one of the houses confronted them. When she discovered they were praying for the community, she asked for healing and God healed her. The group soon physically moved into the neighborhood and started what they called Detroit Life Church. A couple of years later, a local newspaper reported that there were no homicides, robberies, or sex crimes, and only one assault in Detroit Boulevard between 2013 and 2014. Detroit Boulevard had been transformed by a small group of people who began their ministry in the neighborhood by praying around houses, streets, and parks for the power of Satan to be vanquished. Do we believe that God answers our prayers? Do we believe he's going to transform lives and communities and, and, and the world as we pray? Uh, Danny Aiken has said this about the, the, the prayer in this part. Of it, and I, What he's saying here, I think they could be my word. This is how I felt when, as I thought about uh, what's happening in prayer here. He says, I confess to being convicted even haunted by this chapter. If the words of this chapter are true, and I believe they are, why do I not pray more? Why do I not pray with more passion and earnestness? Our prayers provide spiritual reinforcement for the battles that take place against evil spiritual forces in the heavens, Ephesians 6.12. Our prayers are weapons of warfare that provide ammunition for angels as they engage the demonic forces of evil in spiritual conflict. Our prayers matter. They make a difference in this unseen but certain world of the spiritual. Again, it's a mystery. But it's clear that the text is saying at least that much. So if we're going to fight this battle, focus on Jesus. We pray. Number three, we let God strengthen us. Look at verses 15 through 19. Daniel says, When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. 
And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. I mean, this just wiped him out. And if I could just kind of interject this but before we read the other verses, you know, I think sometimes we, we think, and, and, and I think in modern American Christianity we've been taught this, that the point of having a relationship with God or coming to church or, or praying or worshiping or, or, or whatever is it's supposed to comfort us, right? It's supposed to encourage us. It's supposed to give us peace. It's supposed to make us feel better. Right, if, if you listen to any of the Christian radio stations, that's pretty much going to, what they're going to tell you is, is the purpose of their radio station. Can I tell you that's only partially true? Yes, yeah, sometimes coming into the presence of God is going to comfort us and encourage us and, and, and give us peace. But sometimes, read the Bible, it's going to disturb us. Sometimes it's going to mess us up. It's going to change us. It's going to break us. It's going to lead our lives to go in a really different direction. And to be honest, I think sometimes that's why we avoid it. Because we want to try to retain control. We can't win the battles in the spiritual realm when we're in control. To be honest, sometimes that's why we struggle and why our lives are messed up is because we're trying to be in control instead of surrendering to God and just saying, Lord, have your way, do what you want. God, lead me. God, minister to me. God, give me what I need. You see, God sometimes is going to break us, but when he breaks us, it's always to build us back up. I mean, he says here in verse 17, For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? For as for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved. Remember, while this is going on, he keeps reassuring him that he is greatly beloved. And he wants to reassure us of that as well, whatever he asks us to do. He says, fear not, peace to you, be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. You know, the great spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, God wants to give us enough encouragement to keep us going and give us enough trials to keep us dependent upon him. I believe he perfectly knows how to balance the blessings and the burdens of our lives. You know, think about Paul, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. You know, he talks about these heavenly visions. But then he says in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I get prideful by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. See, remember, God is Satan over every, or God is sovereign over everything, including Satan. They're not like equal here. And God even uses the devil to accomplish his purposes. That's part of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And so God is using uh, Satan in Paul's life. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Uh, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. So when he said, well, my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying, no, it's not going to depart from you. So like, if you feel like God doesn't love you and doesn't care about you because he's not said yes to a particular prayer, understand you're in good company with the Apostle Paul. He didn't remove this, but he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And listen, I don't want to be weak. Because I'm prideful. I want to be strong. But sometimes 
God makes us weak to find our strength in him. So we depend on him. So he's glorified. So we're humble. Listen, I don't like going through trials, but I have found that God has always been there, always strengthened, always sustained me, and he'll do the same for you if you find your strength in him instead of looking for sorry substitutes in so many other places, which is what we often do. Last, if we're going to fight this spiritual battle, we have to submit to the authority of Scripture. Notice again how he ends here. He says, Do you know now why I've come to you, and now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. He says, But I will tell you what is noted in the Scripture of truth. So here you have an angel giving him some kind of vision, some kind of special revelation, you know, the kind of thing that was reserved for the writers of Scripture. But even in this, he's directing him to the Word of God. That is our final authority. Understand, the Bible teaches us that Satan is a deceiver whose desire is to destroy us. And so, if we're going to stand against that, we have to know Scripture. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How did he deceive Eve? He questioned, he twisted, and he denied the Word of God. And that's exactly what he still does today. Jesus in John 8, 44 called him the father of lies. So how do we stand against that? John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You see, Standing against Satan is not ultimately a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. He can't stand in the presence of truth. All he has to work with is lies and deceptions. Listen, when we believe lies, we're going to live wrong. When we believe truth and we act on it, we're going to live right. Um, I, I mean, think about it this way. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, just a paraphrase, he says there's storms coming. But whether we stand or fall is not dependent on the storms. Everybody's going to get hit by storms. Whether we stand or fall is dependent on the foundation that we're building on. And he says, if we're building on a foundation of sand, where we're disobeying him, our lives are going to fall. But if we're building on the rock, which is obedience to him, our lives are going to stand no matter what storm comes. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has put it this way. put it this way. He says, "Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself?" You say, "What does that mean? How does it apply here?" Every one of us thinks stupid, crazy, irrational thoughts sometimes. Amen? Is this true? If we listen to those and believe those lies, it's going to mess up our lives. But when we talk to ourselves in the sense of we know God's Word and we can speak truth to ourselves, we can replace those lies with truth, we can take those thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, with the truth of the Word of God, when we can preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves that God loves us, that God accepts us, that we're His children, that Jesus died for us, that we belong to Him, that we're in His hands, that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we can overcome whatever Satan throws at us in our lives. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If we're living according to the truth, we're going to live the life that God wants us to live. If we're not, our life is not going to be what he wants it to be, or really what we want it to be. And so, just to, to apply this, do we believe there's a spiritual realm and there's these battles going on in it? If we do, let's live like it. Live with spiritual, use these spiritual weapons. Focus on Jesus. Pray. 
find our strength in Him, submit to the authority of His Word, but we have to know it to be able to use it, to apply it, to put it into practice in our lives. He wants us to look at the things which are seen instead of the things which are unseen. Uh, You know, don't get sucked up in just everything the world tells us, but live with spiritual eyes. If you're not a Christian, Understand that Colossians 1.13 speaks of Jesus who delivers us from the power of darkness and conveys us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's what God does. Listen, there's two spiritual kingdoms. It's the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, God's kingdom, Satan's domain. And spiritually speaking, we're in one or the other. You may be the finest, most moral person around, but Satan would love for you to be the finest, most moral person around and you to spend eternity in his kingdom in hell because you're trusting in your own goodness instead of the goodness of God, the righteousness of Christ given through the cross. Which kingdom are you a part of? But ultimately, if we're part of the kingdom of God, if Jesus is our Lord, let's live like it. Let's live with spiritual eyes. Fight with spiritual weapons, not just fleshly weapons. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. And uh, the band's going to come back, and we're going to do a song. And, you know, talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus. You're a Christian, will you do that? Just to think about who he is and what he's done for you. Will you look to him for your strength? We pray. That may be you just want to pray in your seat. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you, just come here to the front. We'll just take that as a sign that you want prayer and somebody to come and join you and pray for you. You know, we sang and we're about to sing again. Sing again. This is the song, Surrounded. This is how I fight my battles. Is this how we fight our battles? Or we just talk about it, or we just sing about it. Listen, if you're not a Christian, will you surrender to Christ today? Will you trust Him? If you got questions, come talk to me or somebody else. As we sing, you pray, you respond in the ways that you need to.
Hey, let's, let's stand together. And, and I want to pray, and maybe we just sing that bridge one more time after that to close. But what, what I'm assuming that that song is based on is the story in the Old Testament where I think it was Elisha, it might have been Elijah, uh, and, and his servant, and you know, uh, the king's trying to kill him, and he's surrounded by an army, and, and his servant's scared to death. And then he told him to look, and, and God gave them this spiritual insight, and apparently saw this angelic host, and what he said is there's more with us than against us. There's more that are with us than against us. And we need to remember that, and we need to remember that ultimately God says that I'm with you, and I'm for you, and if I'm for you, who can be against you? God, I pray, Lord, that you would build our faith, that you would strengthen us, that you would lift us up, Lord, that you would encourage those who are struggling, Lord, that you would convict those who are wayward, God, that you would give faith to those uh, who are doubting. And God, I pray that you build us up and strengthen us in Christ. Help us to fix our eyes on him. Lord, help us to remember that he has won it all through his death, burial, and resurrection. That he has taken the keys of, of death and hell. That he rules and reigns. That he intercedes at, at your right hand. God, help us to believe that we're in Him and that in Him we're blessed with every spiritual blessing and help us to live like that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When we finish, you need to come talk.